podcast episode 15 this is the asmr episode where i will only start talking like this and then we will actually talk like normal people i'm your co-host david brooke and with me is hello i am forrest with two r's and i have the black plague damn that sucks dude did you have any like medicine for that no i didn't get vaccinated <laughs> i blame your parents for that uh <laughs> This is the comics podcast where we talk about everything comics in the week ahead and the week past, where we talk about our favorite books and the latest news. Every show starts with the latest news. And this week, we're going to start up with this really kind of cutting edge thing that Comic-Con's doing. They've got a Hall of Fame, and uh, it's just starting. It's the very first, and their first inductee, which will be revealed to the world, what's revealed right now, is Batman on July 17th. I don't quite know how they'll do it. I do probably know that where they'll do it. They have a museum now in San Diego. I don't know. It's kind of neat. It's, I mean, if there's a rock and roll hall of fame and, you know, there's a Hollywood walk of fame, why not a comic book hall of fame? Yeah, I think it's cool. I think the idea is that they're going to have a party for it where they're like, you know, Batman showed up the first time in Detective Comics in 1939. So he's definitely a storied character. Um, and they're going to induct him into this Hall of Fame at the museum during CD- SDCC um, in July. And Dave and I will be there and we'll report from the scene. But I would, I would imagine they're going to have like a party with like a bunch of memorabilia and art and stuff like that. And that's cool. Yeah. It also... I think that they can finally do this because of a secretly shitty reason, which is that SDCC copyrighted Comic-Con, mm-hmm. and they can finally right. launch a Comic-Con Hall of Fame or a Comic-Con What's next? Museum. Comic-Con ice cream? <laughs> Comic-Con line of mm, vehicles? tastes like ink. <laughs> I think the reason that they can finally start doing stuff like this is because they own the brand. Right. That's true. Good point. Uh, but also kind of cool, you know. We should respect the history. We should celebrate it. I like it because the next time I have an argument about who's a better superhero, I can go, well, is that superhero in the Comic-Con Hall of Fame? I think not. I am very curious, though, who will be the next inductee next year. My my money's on probably Spider-Man. It's got to be a Marvel character, right? Yeah. Even though probably Superman is more worthy. I think it'll probably be Cap and then Superman. Ah, interesting. Oh, my God. Is Vegas taking odds on this? Let's check the websites, <laughs> I I would put real money down on Cap. Really? Wow. Yeah. You know what? I would put money on Spider-Man, I think. I think it would be Spider-Man for me. Have you seen the crazy things that people bet on on those sites? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like all the Harry Potter stuff that was going on. During the Super Bowl, like how long will someone dance during a touchdown? Right, Stuff right. like, yeah, it's nuts. People are cray-cray. They like, to, they like to bet on silly things and lose that money. <laughs> you know who's not going to lose money, though? Marvel Comics this year. Because Eric Larson, the Image co-founder and also a reputable artist uh, on many books, including Savage Dragon recently, uh, but also many Marvel books back in the 90s, he's returning to Marvel Comics, which will surely uh, increase the coffers of Marvel Comics. Uh, How do you feel about this, Forrest? I think it's cool. I have no particular fondness for Larson. Mm-hmm. I guess. But I do think that it's really cool that Marvel is doing this the same way that they've reached out to Rob Liefeld and the same way that they bring Claremont every once in a while on for a story. CB was also reaching out to John Byrne and a bunch of other creators for this 80s decade yep. thing that they're celebrating. You know, they they did Gunhawks. They did War is Hell. Is that the name of the war one? Um, Sounds a bunch, yep. a bunch, A bunch of them, right? And it's, yeah. it's really cool to reach out to these people while they can still contribute to the kind of 
ethos of Marvel, and they certainly have in the past, and to bring them back in and give them another whack at it and to say, we recognize that you have contributed to where Marvel is at right now. Right, um, right. Is really, really cool because Marvel is historically not the best at that. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked last week about how an exclusive Marvel contract basically means don't write for DC. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to see them reaching out to specific creators and kind of absconding that, even if it's just this year, to celebrate their own history and to celebrate the artists and creators and stuff that have contributed to that, I think it's really cool. Now, Larson's come out and said, you know, he's not doing a whole series or anything like that. He's only doing 41 total pages, three short assignments, basically probably backups in main books, I would wager. Or maybe the Marvel 2-in-1, he'll do one of those. Or um, Tales, yeah. I think it's kind of cool. I, I, I review quite a few Marvel trade paperbacks, which collect older comics. And whenever Eric Larson does pop up, it is usually far and away sharper, more modern looking art compared to other artists. No no offense to the other artists. I just feel like his sort of detailed style is what's sort of the norm these days, thanks to probably a lot of artists reading his or his his books and loving it and uh, mimicking it. So he's definitely had a, a huge job in helping Marvel in the past. So it's cool to see Marvel honoring him. Now, he's also writing these stories. If you've read Savage Dragon lately, you know that he loves to draw nudity and <laughs> salacious moments for the characters that just seem to be there for his own uh, enjoyment. Uh, I think he, at one point he talked about how he likes to have super sex in his books because they are superheroes, so they of course will have super sex. You know, which is you know, it's his own Savage Dragons, his own book, creator owned. Uh, Wrighton draws it, so to each his own. I doubt he'll do anything like that for Marvel. I don't think they would let that fly. No, but you know what? I'm on the edge of my seat because I am curious if they if they did. Wow, that would yeah. blow off the doors. Let me tell you. <laughs> some news this week that blew off some doors is uh, Tom McFarlane came out and said Jim Lee will be drawing Spawn. He'll be drawing him in the 300th issue. He has not said what he'll draw. Uh, one might assume Jim Lee's going to do a, a cover, mm, uh, but or yeah. maybe a, a shorter... It's probably going to be an anthology, let's all be honest. These milestone issues usually are. So maybe he'll do a, a four or five page uh, story. It's pretty cool um, that Jim Lee and McFarlane are joining up for one last ride since Jim Lee was has bounced from Image to Wildstorm to DC, and now he's like up there right he's a publisher for dc comics yeah he's hardly does anything outside of dc anymore but it's pretty cool to see someone reaching out well the both of them todd mcfarlane and jim lee reaching out to each other and coming to terms or not coming to terms i don't want to make it sound like they were arguing or anything like that but um recognizing the importance of the first image series to reach 300 issues and uh contributing to that the same way that marvel's doing with eric larson Right. It seems like a kind of pivotal time for comic book history. It's really cool. It is. It gives you, it gives you the warm and fuzzies uh, to know that these publishers can share writers, not that they're like owned by them, but you know, for decades, it's been like a no-no uh, for one writer to go to Marvel or DC, even if they don't have contracts mm-hmm. exclusive to Absolutely, either. Absolutely, yeah. You kind of have to... We've built up this faux cultural war about it where you have to pick <laughs> one yeah. or the other and then people say, well, I like image, you right. know, and it's it doesn't have to be that way at all. No. And I don't even think the reality is that way at all. No, I don't think so. No. Spawn didn't get to 300 issues because it was that way. No. Right. Um, yep. And so 
it's really cool. Todd McFarlane, Spider-Man, Venom, and Spawn are his three big things. To say oh, yeah. that he only ever did Spawn or that he only ever did Spider-Man isn't true. To say that Jim Lee only ever does DC stuff isn't true. And to see them come together and do something like this is super awesome because of that. It's a good reminder that a lot of these guys care infinitely more about the craft than they do the brand. Right, right. Although, uh, getting Jim Lee on your book is definitely going to help sell some books. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was probably expensive. Uh, one book that's not going to be sold anymore is uh, Astro Hustle from Dark Horse Comics. In the last week, about eight, yeah, ten w- days ago. Yeah, in the last week, yeah. Uh, Nitz, uh, uh news came out that there were allegations uh, set against him for... Would you call it sexual harassment or abuse? I think both are appropriate. Yeah. And most of this came out uh, via Twitter. Um, and over only about four or five days, Dark Horse, well, actually, almost in, within two or three days, Dark Horse came out and said they are investigating and they canceled the book pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think this is good. This is a, a, a good thing to compare it to what happened with DC Vertigo a few months ago with uh, Border Town. It felt a little weird that all of these allegations were flying for days and days, and it required the artist and colorist to come out and give their two cents before they canceled the book officially. Right. Whereas Dark Horse, they they didn't put the artist on this book in a bad situation where he had to come out and, you know, say, I don't support the action or the allegations or whatever, you know? So... It seems like maybe the industry is understanding a little bit better how to handle sorts of these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. What's your take, Forrest? I think that that's very true. Um, I think that it's important to recognize that this kind of stuff happens in the community and that we can't shy right. away from it. Um, CBR, which is where we're pulling this news from, says that um, they reached out to Dark Horse and Dark Horse said, Dark Horse takes all allegations seriously. While we are unable to prevent our distributor's shipping of Astral Hustle number two, we are suspending professional ties with Giant Nets, which I think is a great um, initial statement. I would hope that they follow up and say, you know, we also unequivocally denounce this kind of action by any creator that we've partnered with. I would also hope the same is true for DC because they also have Giant Nets books that have come out recently or are coming out now. Right, the Um, Suicide Squad book. Correct. And DC did not do a good job with Eric Esquivel. They dropped him off of Nightwing and they canceled Border Town, but they didn't say anything about it. Right. I don't think think they ever released a statement, to my knowledge. Um, Right. And they need to do this with Giant Nets. To see Dark Horse do it is fantastic, and it sets a great example. To see all of these people on Twitter denouncing Jai and sharing their stories and giving a lot of um, credit and thanks to the uh, University of Kansas student that stepped up and shared her story with Jai is fantastic. And I think it's really important, and it gives a lot of credibility and credence to a victim's story, which is something that we need to do consistently. And it's so, so important. And I think that, unfortunately, a lot of the times in the community, that kind of credence and credibility for for certain parts of the community is only granted when a publisher speaks up. Mm-hmm. Right. When they're, they're seen as like the authority. Right. And I'm so happy that Dark Horse is doing that and doing that quickly. I would call on DC to do the same if I could. This just like the Eric Esquivel situation, um, one voice came out and then many more did too. Right. And it just goes to show you there are 
folks in any industry, not just comic books, that are potentially getting away with abuse, harassment, um, you know, even worse. And it it just takes one voice to come out and be heard. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad it's shaked, shaked out the way it did. And it, and, it, and it actually was pretty quick, pretty quick turnaround from Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. to cancel the book and and try to move on from it um but also you know it's good that these stories are coming out well it's unfortunate that it happened at all of course but um the response has been good no doubt yeah right i'm i guess my point being like i'm glad it's coming out because maybe we can all learn from it yeah yeah mm-hmm. and hopefully you can stop <laughs> stop it yeah in our last bit of news which is positive news yay indie in an indiegogo uh, for a book called Icarus and the Sun is the most backed comic ever? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, well, it's the most funded comic on Indiegogo of all time. $596,000. Yeah. Dang. Um, uh, out of a $20,000 fixed goal, um, it's by a solo creator named Gabriel Piccolo from Sao Paulo, Brazil. It has 16,377 backers. Um, it is 2,982% funded. That's a big number. That's incredible. <laughs> that's, a, that's not a small number. No. That's awesome. And we talked actually a couple weeks ago about how the comics community is really, really great about supporting creators on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all these other platforms. Mm-hmm. That actually people that work for Kickstarter and Indiegogo have seen the shift to comic books um, and board games in particular, mm-hmm. largely because like video games and movies and stuff like that take a long time. Right. And a lot of the high, higher end or high goal ones have failed. Right. Or haven't quite met everything that they were promising. Or never were never shipped at all. Or never shipped at all. Yeah. Whereas um, board games and comic books are a little bit lower stakes, but they're obviously very closely important tied to and important to one or two creators. Mm-hmm. And so they, they've been wildly successful in the last couple of years. Um, and, and seeing something like this where almost something is almost 3,000% overfunded is incredible. You know, it's funny. We were talking just recently about how sales are down, but then you look at these numbers mm-hmm. and people want comics, guys. It's not like they don't want to read comic books. It's just that maybe they're not into the books that are being sold. And, you know, I've seen, um, I think Top Cow and possibly some, I, mean, I think it was Top Cow and maybe IDW, creators that were pretty much exclusive to those publishers putting stuff up on Kickstarter. And then like, it was eventually going to be published uh, by the publisher. But the by using the Indiegogo and Kickstarter, they can get the the project off the ground and have an understanding of um, what the buy-in is from the audiences. Yep. yep. So it's a it's a really cool way to kind of workshop an idea, see how much interest there is, and then the comic to go live. So it's like a a, a great way to reduce risk, I guess, if you're a comic book publisher. And I think it's a great way for the creators themselves to leverage their success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I can't think of a better way for a creator to make a successful portfolio. I would rather see creators doing this on their own, but what do you think about like a top cow kind of Kickstarter book going up? Um, trying to I get cash that way. I feel like I would be a little bit offended, I guess, because as a creator, I'm like, well, it's like a half vote of confidence. <laughs> like you bid on my pitch, but right. now you want to get a second word in. Right. Or like, it's like if the people at Shark Tank <laughs> said that they were going to fund you, but then they were like, Shark Tank 2! 
<laughs> right. Right. We uh, need to actually pull in some money before we actually go all the way. Right. It's weird. And maybe that's just the way the industry is for those indie presses. I don't know. I think as an individual creator in this instance, though, super cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm happy for Gabriel. So that's the news, folks. Next up in our show, we always follow up the news with the best books of last week. The top two books that we think were the best from all the books that we read. And let me just tell you, Force Night, we read a lot of comics. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I did the math this week and I read 21 or so. 21 books. books. Yeah. Good Lord, man. Where do you find the time? I don't sleep. <laughs> so to start, uh, we always talk about what's rated the highest uh, via comicbookroundup.com. And this week, the number one rated book with a 9.6 by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. Can you guess what it is? Because it keeps coming up <laughs> whenever we do this part of the show. Immortal Hulk number 16. Yeah. One of the coolest horror Hulk stories probably ever written, I would say. I would say ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've dropped the probably. Uh, yeah. Ewing's doing a smashing job. Do you see what I did there? And Bennett, he has really raised Hulk's monstrosity to a, a cool level. Yeah, and to say nothing of those Alex Ross covers, too. Oh, yeah. Woo. Where does he find the time? He's doing Hulk, Captain America, uh, Conan, Savage uh, Sword of Conan, I think. All four of those? Yeah, I don't know. None of Dang. us are sleeping. I guess. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Once again, though, I started with the number one rated book. I should have started with the number two rated book. But you know what? Which is Die Number 5 with a 9.3. Another book. (laughs) Another week, yeah, with art by Stephanie Hans. I have read the first two issues of Die. And do you like it? It's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I can see why it is so successful. Mm -hmm. I can see why people have pivoted to this after um, Wicked and Divine was announced that it was ending. I'm really, really excited to get the first trade because they're going to have the tabletop role-playing game that the characters are playing in it at the back of that. It's the back matter for the first trade. Right. Um, Super stoked on that. Um, I think it's just okay. I kind of think Kieran Gillen might just be getting high scores because people like him. But that's not a problem. (laughs) Right? If you like something, you like it. Sure. Um, I, I, I kind of go back and forth with him and that's my own thing um that al ewing it, it's gonna be this way every week that al ewing book immortal hulk yeah i think every week immortal hulk and die come out they're gonna be some of the highest reviewed books that come out because people are really invested in these series the same way that i think you and i are invested in conan and venom you know to add to that i think both of these series add a little something different than your typical superhero book yeah True. Obviously, Die isn't in a superhero genre, really, but Immortal Hulk is. But they both offer something different for your comic book pull list, whereas a lot of other books are good, but they're similar, right? Like Superman or Spider-Man or Captain America. They're all sort of doing the same sort of thing, fighting evil or whatever. Whereas Mm -hmm. these books, like Hulk opens uh, every issue with a quote to make you think a little bit about philosophy or psychology. And Die, obviously, it's just taking this genre in a new direction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can see why people are extra excited. Okay, Forrest, what is your uh, your second favorite book of last week? My second favorite book of last week was Marvel Team Up Number One, written by Eve Ewing, with art by Joey Vasquez. This is a it's a pretty cool thing. Did you read it? Hell yeah, buddy! I, Hell I have the yeah. physical copy. All right. Well, that I was just gonna say is probably <laughs> better than my experience. It's yeah. um, 
this is a it's a really fun, cool thing about um, the new Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. Or not new, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Spider-Man. Compared to Spider-Man, she's very new. Yeah, yeah there we go. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spider-Man teaming up. What you need to know is that it's um, told from two perspectives. So you read all the way through to the to halfway point through Miss Marvel's story. And then it says at the center point, flip this book over and read it backwards. And you read Peter Parker's story all the way up to that point as well. I read it digital and I, I had to f- like literally flip the PDF. Yep, yep. Um, which wasn't a great experience, but mm-hmm. um, I picked up a physical copy and that was w- so much better. Yep. Um, so I think for something like this, you absolutely have to have the physical copy. I don't know what the guided reading experience might be for Comixology. Yeah, it's um, probably, yeah, it's probably smoother. To that, to that end, that's probably better. This is just a super fun, creative book, though. This is one of the first times I've seen the kind of... I, w- I would say there's a little bit of a cyclical nature here where comic books really informed Into the Spider-Verse, but now Into the Spider-Verse's aesthetic is really informing comics. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really fun, like, bright purples and yellows and zipatone dots and um, kind of tone shifted or um, like it looks like copies are made during the action um, type stuff throughout it. So it's, it's really cool and fun. Um, the aesthetic is really good and really well done. Vasquez does a great job um, conveying spidey seriousness, which is not the norm for him. And also Miss Marvel's absolute aloofish childhoodness. <laughs> Right, and I think Eve Ewing is also having a great time with that too, because Miss Marvel is the perfect channel for writers to write about how much fun they're having writing a superhero comic. Right, because she loves being a superhero. Plus, she's young and fancy free, right? Right, she gets up on the stage with Spidey and is like, "Oh my God, Spider Man!" <laughs> Which is how I would fucking feel about writing a book with Spider Man in it. If you were Miss Marvel, that's how you'd react. Right, right. And so you can see that energy coming through. I think it's a really great character for writers to do stuff like that. And it's just a really fun issue. It's got a fun, neat trick. Um, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it brought me back to the old days, actually the 90s, uh, uh, where you would have a Marvel book where you'd flip it and there'd be another story. Although they never usually combined. It was always like a separate story. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's definitely a cool way for Marvel to continue to honor the 80th anniversary. Yes, absolutely. I liked it a lot. I reviewed it for aptcomics.com. Can I just say one thing? And this is a spoiler, so watch out. Uh, the The technology that is introduced in the issue, isn't that exactly the same technology that Doc Ock used to swap heads in Superior Spider-Man? Swap minds, I Yeah, say. more or less. And yet Spider-Man, so. not once in this comic, is like, huh, that happened to me. and That sucked. <laughs> I died. <laughs> that was that's my the, main gripe. That's with- the reason I am a plagiarist. <laughs> which is referenced in this issue. That's weird, yeah. I don't know. It was the only thing that caught me off guard. I, I, I liked it a lot, too. My second pick is Justice League number 21. A surprise, surprise. It's on my list a lot these days. Uh, that's written by Scott Snyder uh, with art by Jorge Jimenez. And the story is culming... Uh, it's like a culmination of the last two issues. I think it's the third part now. And Snyder has basically taken the Justice League and had them see a better future. But it's way too... It's way too positive. It's way too good uh, than it should be. 
because nothing's when if it's if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And they are offered a choice to join up with this. I'm giving I'm, this is kind of spoiling it, but this giant cosmic entity, uh, and this cosmic entity is basically saying you have to do it this way, and that's the only way. And his way requires that they basically put everyone who's bad, even a little bit, in prison. <laughs> and they're all like, and 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 even if they haven't committed any crimes yet, so they've got you've got a uh, minority report thing going on there. Um, and then on the, at the same time, there's a Mr. Mixaplix subplot, and I'm going to totally spoil this. There's a page where he's become this giant uh, kaiju monster, Mr. Mixaplix, and. Uh, Jorge Jimenez draws this page so that at the top of it is just the comic. It looks right. And then as it goes down, it starts to become pencil, blue pencil, uh, sorry, regular pencil or inks, then the blue pencil. And it's starting to like take, it's turning the comic into a literal comic on the page. Cause Mr. Mixaplex is literally like going to destroy the universe and undo this comic universe, basically breaking the fourth wall, which is kind of cool. You don't see that very often in DC Comics. It's It happens all the time in Marvel because of uh, Deadpool and Gwenpool mm-hmm. breaking the fourth wall. So it's really, it's I'm very fascinated to see where Snyder takes that element, especially since it's like the main threat at this time, whereas the main Justice League are sort of trapped in this other dimension trying to figure out what to do next. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm this book always feels like it is universe changing in that whatever happens in this book could affect all other books in the line. And that doesn't usually happen at Marvel or DC because, you know, there's a lot of different writers kind of doing their own thing unless it's an event. And it's not an event though. This is, this is the main series and it's always felt that way. The stakes are always really high and anything could happen. That's really cool. It's a, it's a really great vote of confidence in Snyder and Jimenez. Right. Um, And I think it's a really great um, indication that, they are correct in placing that faith in them. That that twenty one issues in, it's still doing that is awesome, right? And it all ties back to DC Metal, so it's it's like a long, long, long form story, which again mm-hmm. is kind of rare for comics, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. What is your number one pick for last week, Forrest? My number one pick for last week is Conan number five, written by Jason Aaron with art by Mahmoud A. Asrar. Is that the Barbarian Conan? It is the one and only, the barbed man. <laughs> I have spent a lot of time talking about why I like Conan on this podcast already. Welcome to my Conan corner. <laughs> so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it. I'm going to read, um, I'm going to paint a little picture for you. Ooh. Conan is cutting tentacles off of a shark monster trying to pull the boat that he's on filled with corpses to the bottom of the ocean. It is a full page picture of Conan covered in blood using his sword to hack through a tentacle that has a clawed hand on the end of it teeth gnashing in the background and it says brought to terrifying life from a darkness beyond knowing engorged on the blood of slaughtered pirates it came and Conan's sword sent it straight back to hell nice metal it's the most metal comic I've ever (laughs) read in my entire fucking life it's so cool. It's so cool every week. It's a little exposition heavy. It's a little dialogue deficient, actually. But the 
the artistry that Mahmoud Asrar is bringing to this and the tonality and the tension that Aaron is writing to into every scene and the way that it just oozes character and setting is so cool. Every episode of this, and it isn't very much an episodic story, feels entirely different, except for the fact that it's anchored by a very good, accurate, and true to the character Conan. Would you call it high fantasy? I would call it gritty fantasy. Okay. In that magic is usually on the periphery of these stories. Mm-hmm. It's very much at the forefront of this issue in that there's kind of a Cthulhu-esque shark monster attacking this boat. (laughs) But normally magic and that kind of stuff is on the periphery. And and so that I would say it's not necessarily high fantasy in the way that like Tolkien or something or George R.R. Oh, not George R.R. Martin. It's more like George R.R. Martin's work than it is Tolkien's. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lizard people, but you don't ever see them kind of thing. Right. Exactly. And that Conan is genuinely surprised for a split second when he sees stuff like this before True. he's like, oh, I got to kill it. Right. But he always does say that. <laughs> but he, but then he does turn around and, and kill it. And the fact that these evils are surmountable also makes it feel realistic to me. Right. Um, and I like that very much. And I think Aaron and Asrar make everything feel grounded and relatable to Conan. Um, this issue being a, a very good representation of that. And the fact that Conan is flawed. He um, is starved and kind of going out of his mind in this issue. And he starts talking to his sword because <laughs> he has no one else to talk to. And you're kind of like, oh, that's funny. And then the dialogue keeps going or the narration keeps going. And it says, and for a split second, Conan thought that the sword started to talk back. And you're like, oh, now it's kind of sad, you know. And they they walk this really great line before between fantastical and funny and weird and magical and then always bring it back to the correct level of groundedness for the world that Conan lives in. Nice. And I like that a lot. You know, it's funny. One of our newer reviewers, Adrian, reviewed this book and, well, it's not really funny. It's just interesting. The organic traffic was really high for a long time, days and days and days. And I'm not sure it's because he's one of the only positive reviews or what, but yeah, people want this book. Oh, people People want this book. I think it's a great entry point for a lot of people reading Conan. And if you go over and you look at the um, user reviews for this issue in Comic Book Roundup, you will see that a lot of people are saying, this is the first time I'm really reading Conan. This is the first time I'm getting introduced to the character. They have some nitpicks because of that. Right. That I think you and I, as readers of Conan historically, probably don't have. How many reviews are there? Um, I don't know for this specific issue, but I've noticed okay. it across the past five issues as well as Savage Sword. Nice. That a lot of people are unfamiliar with the kind of episodic nature of Conan mm-hmm. that I, I tend to think works really well, especially for Aaron with for these sure. issues. Yeah, a lot of people are like, I'm still really into it, even if I don't get the connective tissue between these issues. By Krom, my number one pick is also by Jason Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also um, kind of a fantasy. It's War of the Realms number one, um, Marvel's new big event that is kicking off something like a 100 books tying into this massive event that will be going through the summer it's also uh, drawn by Russell Dodderman, and the colors are by Matthew Wilson. It's the dream team we all know and love from Thor. Yep. And, I mean, let's not talk about story. Let's talk about art. This issue is just another freaking example about how I think this is the best art team in the business who put out the most books, I would say. Because there are other really great art teams. But this one, like the use of blur, the use of color, the detail... 
I can't believe how sharp this book looks. It's a million dollar book. I, if you if you went back in time, Stanley just came out with Spider Man number two, let's say, and you showed him this book, it would blow his mind. Like he he you couldn't even foresee how good the art could be back then. Obviously because of computers. This is a good book. I think I, this is my number one pick because. Jason Aaron has an insanely good handle on all these characters, maybe partly because he's been writing Avengers for a couple months now. And in fact, the, of his Avengers do show up, which includes Blade, <laughs> which is just a fun. I mean, come on. This is a, this is the big Marvel event. And, and Blade has like more than one line of dialogue. Like I loved that one of his lines was, I'm Blade. right right like nowhere else can a story like this happen and obviously the scope is huge it's it's obviously it's a war so it's simple yet not because the villain in play has an interesting team that's revealed here and again though how aaron writes the characters is just on point when spider-man talks it's how spider-man should talk iron man same and that makes it so much fun and it's just like a celebration of superheroes in an event format. And I just want to add one thing, which I think is a hunch. Do you think this book is coming out right now because game of Thrones is coming out with its last season? Cause it's similar, right? Like it's a mm. war. There are these like Asgardian type characters running around with axes and whatnot. There are golems and whatnot. There are like monsters. Um, there's even ice giants. I'll tell you what I think. Okay. I think that this book is coming out right now because Jason Aaron is an immovable force. Um, <laughs> C.B. Sabolsky told a story on This Week in Marvel where he was like, Jason Aaron has a big fuck you sword in his office. Yeah. And he told me that if I didn't let him write Conan, that he was going to use it. That's funny. So we let him write Conan. <laughs> I interviewed him years ago now, and he sounds like the nicest, calmest dude. So I, I'm surprised by that. But maybe, you know, maybe that rage comes out when, when he needs to bring it out. Yeah, maybe he writes it into War of the Realms and Conan. <laughs> right, there you go. Yeah, I recommend the book. I do too. I liked it. I'm I'm hesitant to get into all these t- uh, tie-ins, obviously for, you know, event fatigue. Event fatigue, which is definitely going to be happening, I think, by August for a lot of us. Yeah. But I'm I'm game to, to, to join in the fun and, uh, and see where this goes. Yeah, me too. I, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. There was a part in it that really gave me unbridled joy where the Asgardians and Spider-Man are talking about what they're going to do with Spider-Man's eggs. And Spider-Man <laughs> right. is like, I'd like to keep my eggs to myself. Thanks. <laughs> that was funny. Um, yeah. And and I, at that point, and that's like midway through the issue, I was like, sold, done. Yep. <laughs> it's good. Yep. The book is good. I like the, 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 the joke with Iron Man too, where he was like, he was going to ask the angels out for a date The angels from hell. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. It's just quippy and fun. It, it, you know what's funny is it kind of reminds me of the movies and how they sort of talk in the, in the yeah. films too. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, that's it. Those were our top books of last week. Next up, we're going to be doing a segment called Holy Grails. Wait, no, yeah. there's no question mark on that. That's actually mm. Holy Grails, uh, which is where <laughs> we talk about what single issue or comic or figure or poster or memorabilia would you would be the one that you would trade over $150,000 worth of comic X-Men collections for. Does that make sense what I just said? I think the words made sense in the order you said them. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I picked this news because there's a, a guy who, he has a $150,000 X-Men collection that he was showing off to CBR. 
Um, it's actually estimated to be worth over like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars now. Wow! But he spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on it. Good, good um, man. He's got like a Wolverine room. It's like all our dreams come true, isn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and he didn't say anything during the interview or anything. But I was like, "There's got to be one issue or one thing that he doesn't have, right? That he really wants." I think all people that are into this industry, that are into these characters, they have one thing that they don't have, right? They're always chasing something. And that's a little bit due to the nostalgia market, but it's also due to the fact that you always have the one thing that you can't get. Yeah, if you're collecting things, there's there's always one more thing, right? Yeah, and so I was curious what the one thing was for, for you, either of us. For you and I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't have a humongous collection of comics. I do have a pretty big collection of Marvel Legends action figures. Uh-huh. I have I, both. Yeah. I, I do have a couple uh, CGC framed comics. So I would say Amazing Fantasy number 15 because I have two other important Spider-Man comics in history mm-hmm. framed already. So why not the one that's worth $450,000? <laughs> and that's the first appearance of Spidey. Yes, right? it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, would you flip it? God, if you uh, needed to, or would you, if you found it, yeah. say you found okay. it unslabbed. Okay. Yep. Would you keep it for yourself or would you flip it? I would keep it so I could show all my friends for a little while. And mm-hmm. then I would definitely flip it. Cause I mean, I would rather go to like on like a world tour travel trip, uh, than keep that on my wall. Especially cause what if the house burned down? Right. I'd have to get some yeah. insane <laughs> insurance for that thing. Yeah. I don't even think that you could find one unslabbed. I think issues like that are all accounted for. Yeah, I think so. That's why it's worth so much. Right. What's your holy grail? My holy grail is um, Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number eight. Mm. Number eight in a 12-issue limited series. Mm -hmm. Amid the chaos, there comes a costume. What? Um, It's not (laughs) even worth that much. This is the first appearance of the symbiote suit, the Mm -hmm. Spider-Man symbiote suit, the black costume. I think graded, like CGC graded, it's worth like $150, even if it's like a 9.6. So it's not worth that much. I could pick it. it. I could pick it up. I just haven't. Mm -hmm. I I would be, uh, the the way I was thinking about this is I would be willing to give up like a box of comics that I have, single trades or single issues or whatever for that issue though. Uh, I see, I see. You know, or like a shelf of my Marvel Legends to have that issue. I would give away all my action figures for uh, Amazing Fantasy number 15. Right. And (laughs) yours is worth way more money than mine. (laughs) Mine's like sentimental value, I guess. That's Venom is my favorite comic book character, maybe sparing X-23. And so I really also love the symbiote suit. And I really love the silliness, the silly idea of a costume machine. Man. Which made some of my favorite stories of all time. Right. I actually really love that cover, too. It's a really good cover. Where all the heroes are fighting in the background and Spidey is like, look at my goth duds. I mean, wasn't that the first, was that the first costume change for Spider-Man? It may have been. It's got to be the most drastic costume change in history. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when they also, at the time, they were experimenting a lot with that. Hulk went back to gray. Right. Thor got new armor. All sorts of stuff. Right. But Spidey's is, like, definitely the most historied. I mean, his his red and blue costume is the greatest costume ever created. Period. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. It, are you saying the symbiote costume's better? 
Yes. Get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> it is not only, con- it's like detailed, but not. It's like, it's uh, it's got the iconic American colors, right? Blue and, and red. And it just looks so damn cool from every angle. And the boots, the black one, I get it. I get it. Simple is, is cool too, right? I mean, with fashion, especially. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's less interesting. The symbiote costume is my favorite superhero costume of all time. All right. We're going to have to do a soapbox about this in the future where I, <laughs> we argue with each other on why why one is better than the other. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would be able to get, I would be willing to give up more than that issue is worth just right. to get it. And that right. could just be because I haven't seen it in person. Oh, interesting. I have to look yeah. through my, my box. I don't know. I might have it. I think I have I a, a, a no, that's cool. wedding gift for you, possibly. <laughs> I just have to go home and look through my long boxes. My, my parents' home, I mean. My coworker the other day casually was like, oh, I have that. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. You know what comics we want to have that are out next week? Well, you're about to find out in Top Books for Next Week, the segment where we talk about our most anticipated book coming out next week. I'm uh, riding around on my Segway. <laughs> it doesn't have cliff detection. I'm falling. I want you to tell us about your pick, and if it has anything to do with a black costume, I'm just gonna I'm gonna fall out of my chair. Mm. What is your pick? Um, <laughs> Major X number one from last week. Oh wow! Yeah, you haven't gotten it yet. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting. It's selling out. Uh, it did sell out. Don't read that comic, y'all. Dave and I may disagree on this. Dave's review should read on aptcomics.com because he did a very good job of reviewing it for what it is. Oh, really? You really believe that? I thought so, yeah. Thank I think you. you did a great job of reviewing it for... I think that's something important that reviewers should do. And uh, you should you should read Dave's review as a good example of how to do that. I did give it a positive score. Not a high score, but a positive score. And yeah, uh, I think uh, Rob Liefeld did what he set out to do. For comparison, there's a very famous Pitchfork review where they reviewed a Jet album. Oh, no. And they just... The text of the review was a video, a YouTube video of a monkey pissing in its mouth. <laughs> I may have asked our editors for permission to do that for Major X. That's funny. Um, (laughs) uh, But my top pick for next week, actually, actually, is Symbiote Spider-Man number one, written by Peter David with art by Greg Land. I just fell out of my chair, but I have a pile of pillows here. It was so silent. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah, I love the suit. I love the time for Peter. It's a really weird, challenging time for him where he's like edgy... But not, <laughs> you know, um, I really love the uh, the whole the whole concept behind it, which is that you can be the best person in the world and you can do all of these things for everyone around you, including Aunt May, including Gwen Stacy, including Mary Jane, including whoever, including just the people of Brooklyn and still internalize a lot of doubt and fear and frustration and not even realize necessarily that the world is feeding on that, that the world recognizes the fact that you feel those things that you think you're only feeling on the inside, but that the symbiote suit is a, is a great way of externalizing them, that the pressures of being someone like Spider-Man bear a lot out of you, that they exhaust you, that they turn good intentions into frustration and that it takes someone who is truly naturally heroic and thinks about other people more than themselves to even work through them. 
and that the world will feed on those bad thoughts and feelings, whether or not you can control it, but that you can control your intention. And also it is the best costume of all time. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually reviewing this for IPTcomics.com next week, and uh, I'm psyched for it too. I think it's going to be cool. I like Mysterio also, the main villain. I think yes. Mysterio's costume is also probably the best Spider-Man villain costume if you rule out Venom. Uh, my girlfriend calls him Bubblehead. <laughs> I go, no, his name's Mysterio. She goes, oh, you mean Bubblehead. And I'm always like, God, it just gets at me. I like it. <laughs> this is another book where it's definitely tying into the movies or, or, or other media right now because Mysterio is, as we all know, the villain or possibly not the villain, but a character in the next Spider-Man movie. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think also Venom did really well. Better oh, yeah. than they expected, and that they were too. like, all right. So my pick, uh, my most anticipated book for next week, which I'll also be reviewing for aptcomics.com, is called Faithless <laughs> Number 1. It's from Boom Studios. It's by writer Brian Azzarello and artist Maria Lovett. And let me just read you the first line from the synopsis. Faith. Sex. The devil. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I'm not going to spoil it because it's not even out yet, but I have to say the marketing for this book is is leaning really hard into the erotic angle of of the of the of the book, the the subject matter. And what I just read to you sounds badass, right? Sounds like a 70s horror movie or something. It's not that. <laughs> it's more of a character drama and it's about this girl named Faith who likes to write uh, draw ritualistic symbols for fun. She kind of believes in it, but I mean, she's, she can't actually wield magic or anything or, or call the devil down. Um, but I guess it, it's sort of a story about be careful what you ask for or wish for or what you're interested in. And um, yeah, it explores this character really, really well. It's just really good character writing, I think. And the art has a nice energy to it that actually reminds me of Jim Mahfoud's art, uh, who's done a lot of stuff for Image Comics. If you don't know who he is, look him up. He's really good. He's like a graffiti artist too. This is a little less chaotic than that, but it, I don't know. I just, I look at it and it just appeals to me for so much. And um, yeah, I think it's the book that a lot of people are talking about too, because it's the title Brian Azzarello is doing after Batman Damned. Mm-hmm. And I'm really perplexed why Boom keeps selling it as uh, <laughs> Faithless Number 1 by Brian Azzarello, who just did Batman Damned. Like, why are they pushing that the reaction to batman dam was so negative but maybe it's because that book was sexual too i think it's just because there was such a reaction to that book true true it's on everybody's minds even people probably don't even read comic books anywho i recommend it it's it's a pretty it's a pretty dope first issue and uh it's it's a different sort of character drama too and there is sexuality in it there is nudity uh for sure it's just not it just doesn't scream erotic comic to me after i read it it sounds cool yeah I, I did see that uh, Tula Lote, who I really love, who does a lot of really fantastic cover art, did a variant for this. And mm-hmm. if you try to look up look it up on any website, it is a red square that says, this cover is too explicit and will not be sold in stores. You have to order it. Yes, I saw that. That's pretty so cool. I'm, I'm kind of curious what it is. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and you know what's funny is those kind of covers never usually end up on the internet somehow. And they don't. I never feel that they're explicit, as explicit as they are. No, but. yeah. Not exploitive, anyway. Yeah, or, or we and Tula Lote is a really fantastic 
artist, so I'm, yeah. I would imagine it's good. Okay, guys, in our next segment, Judging by the Cover Junior, <laughs> I get a crack out of that title every time. We talk about uh, our favorite cover art out next week. Uh, just to highlight the artists out there who are putting in the time to do these amazing covers who may not be doing interiors at all, but you know what? Their art is almost as important, if not more so sometimes, uh, when it comes to selling these books and also capturing our hearts and imaginations. <laughs> Forrest, what is your favorite cover out next week? My favorite cover out next week is The Flash number 68. It is a variant cover by Mitch Gerads. <laughs> You, Dave, uh, just so y'all know, got mad at me when I picked this cover. Yeah. Um, and I actually subsequently went through and looked through all of the covers for April. I think that this is the best cover for the month. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the Flash, and he's in this—he's in the quintessential Flash running pose, his right arm raised up in front of his face, his left arm thrown back, his left knee pointed perfectly, and his right leg pivoted backwards— um, but there's no scenery around him at all. Instead, what there is is like a very good like 70s or 60s pastiche of reds and yellows and oranges and a little bit of beiges, uh, like echo effect on him uh, or like a lava lamp effect almost blurring outward from him. It um, does a really good job of conveying speed and fluidity in a unique artistic way. It's very... Um, iconographic Mm -hmm. it feels like it's distilling the flash down to the bare essentials of his costume and the main thing that you know about him which is that he's fast so fast that he defies everything else around him Mm -hmm. and you hardly ever see that you usually see the fact that he's like blowing past a stop sign or something like that and i'm like oh that's cool but this this is done in such a way that it's like conveying that with just color and form Mm -hmm. and i love that so much um mitch is a fantastic artist check out mr miracle um who tom king actually said that mitch's ideas and mitch's art are the the guiding force behind how successful the mr miracle miniseries was um you can see that kind of energy and that kind of thoughtfulness in this in this cover. It's a nice cover, I have to admit. It's a good cover. It makes me think of like a '70s show, like those like really bad old effects. Yeah, because it's like, nee, 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 nee. like it's, yeah, it's going it's, out. It's, from him. it's almost funny until you're like, that's exactly what I would expect of the Flash, though. Right. Right. Yeah. It's rad, man. My favorite cover, actually, this is, uh, I was close on picking another cover from DC Comics. So DC's owning this week when it comes to cover art is uh, Superman number 10 by Adam Hughes, the great Adam Hughes. God, this guy's so good. Um, This cover has Superman pulling a train or is he? No, he's running in front of a train. And there is this really cool blur effect where his feet are supposed to be, where it's almost like see-through because he's moving so fast. And... Behind him is a, a high speedy, a speeding train, um, almost gaining on him, but probably not. And then next to this train is another train, and he is clearly beating that train too. And there's this really cool blur effect going on. In the background of this is a skyscraper and some light on that, and it's clearly like maybe just turning nighttime because there's still some blue in the sky. And then how Batman, uh, Batman, how Superman is rendered is is really just rich. It looks real. The lighting is just so perfect. The way his cape kind of flows behind him, it's actually see-through at the very tip of the cape at the the end of it. Um, And you could see through it to the train. 
there's just a really cool layering going on here. And I, I guess I'm a sucker for blur in comics because Dodderman does it a lot in his art and and Adam Hughes is doing it here. And it's just very captivating. There's some, there's almost like a, like some grain or um, like, um, like pixels or something on the bottom right that are like f- moving so fast. You can't tell what it is. Maybe it's sand. Maybe it's, I don't know, wind or something. It's pretty rad. Now, what's interesting too about this cover is it's, it's, I think it's part of a series that Adam Hughes is doing because this one is clearly showing that he is more powerful than a locomotive. And in issue number two, it was kind of conveying faster than a speeding bullet. And number four was being able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Uh, I don't know the full saying off the top of my head, but what's next for Adam Hughes in these covers? I don't know. Strong. <laughs> Super. Brave. Do you, do you ever see clips from the old Superman show, the black and white TV show, and um, a guy would shoot him? He'd shoot, shoot, shoot him, and he'd just stand there, and he'd take the bullets to his chest. And then the minute the guy took a chair and threw it at Superman, he would duck. (laughs) No, I haven't seen that. It's hilarious. you got to look it up. Because it's like, obviously, the actor can't get hit by a chair. (laughs) Right. That's funny. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Wisdom. Wisdom. Um, Okay, that's it for this part of our show. The next part, Trash It or Treasure It. We've done this a few times on the show, where I randomly select a character or in some cases, Forrest Will. And uh, then I flip a coin. And you have to, the, other, the, the person on the show has to trash or treasure the character. Now, this is a scary moment for the person who has to do this. Yeah. Because I might randomly pick a character you love. Yeah. In which case, it'll be really easy. <laughs> because if I do roll or whatever, pick uh, you treasuring it. Okay, you ready? I have to betray that I'm really worried you're going to pick Symbiote Spidey. Oh, my God. That I could, you've rigged it, I and then I'm going to ruin this suit for myself right now. <laughs> what are the chances, folks, if I pick Symbiote Spider-Man? <laughs> All right, I'm going to randomly generate a character. Okay. All right, Clint Barton. Hawkeye. Oh, jeez. All right, now I'm going to flip this coin here. And you have to treasure him. I have to treasure him. Oh. Well, he's a, he's a darling little baby. <laughs> Uh-huh. He did a fantastic job with Kate. I think that that's the best thing that you could say for him. Mm-hmm. Um, that that man that Matt Fraction story is one of the best superhero comics of all time. Oh yes, by da- uh, with art by David Aja. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Pizza, dog, Kate. Yep, it's great. And it, <laughs> the the nature of it is the fact that Clint is such a relatable person. Right. You know that he wants. <laughs> things like coffee and mm-hmm. band-aids mm-hmm. that those are his main concerns and the fact that clint is a relatable to a t and and maybe this is the problem with him in the movies but he 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 wears his scars proudly he's not cap he's not the hulk he's got <laughs> the majority of that comic Band-Aids on his face, quite literally. He gets beat up, but he gets back up. Um, And I like that a lot. I like that he keeps trying. I like that he recognizes that there are younger people than him that carry that same energy, that he shouldn't do, wouldn't do well to be jealous of, but would rather do well to foster. Um, and other superheroes do that by being like, yes, I'm Captain America, and everything you've heard about me is true. Patriotism. What a dick. 
even though that's not who Captain America is, aside from when he's talking to people like that, Hawkeye never does that stuff. It's true. And I like that very much. I also like his dog. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You kind of hit a nail on the head as far as um, how he's being written in Avengers No Road Home. Mm. Because, like, he's sort of teaming up with Rocket and Hulk right now. And Hulk is constantly like, you're pathetic. All you have is arrows. And uh, not trying to sort of respond to it. Just he's just He just responds in this way to certain... Um, uh, dangerous moments or whatever, it, he's just like, okay, now we have to go do this now. And Hulk keeps looking over at him like, oh, this guy really is heroic and does whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a good man, even though he was a villain for a while there. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> you, t- you, you told me to treasure him. He didn't have a dog at the time. You told me to treasure him. Moving on, guys. We are going to end our show like this every week now, I think. That's our plan. Yeah, right, I think so. Yeah. We're going to have an off-topic, top-shelf pick, something that's not comics that we like right now, uh, and just to share it. And it's my turn, and I'm going to pick something that I literally just watched last night, which is the movie Mandy, uh, starring Nicolas Cage. And wow, what a picture. I I know you reviewed it back in October for us, and uh, Nathaniel also reviewed it in September for AAPTComics.com. There was a lot of hype for this, a lot. So my expectations Mm -hmm. were really high. And I like artsy kind of horror movies if I'm in the right mood for it, you know? I mean, I'm not a slasher guy, even though I did like the new Halloween. Um, But this movie, it's not even like a horror movie. It's not really scary. It's more like fantasy. And there's, it's clearly like alluding to other genres other than horror. I don't want to spoil it because a big part of the enjoyment was going in was not knowing a thing about it. But know that there is a bit of a revenge flick kind of thing going on where the hero has to, you know, take out the baddies. And there are quite a few baddies. Actually, there might be too many. At one point, I was like, geez, how many guys do you have to kill? <laughs> um, but there's uh, the main threat is this, like, Christian, I think. He calls himself Christian. This, like, yeah. cult leader yeah. who says he's... Neo-pagan. Spo- yeah. He's spoken to God, and God is like, given him this power. But he's really just a pathetic loser who's convinced people to do his bidding and he kind of ruins nicholas's nicholas cage's life in a violent way and <laughs> i love how that implies <laughs> that it's literally nicholas cage <laughs> although it does feel very much that way i mean i i would not be surprised if this is how he spent one of his weekends <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you know and i i actually have a film background i went to school for screenwriting and when i was in college i watched I think 10 movies a week, I think I tried, uh, which is not easy when you have a full schedule of classes. No doubt, yeah. I've watched so many films, and this is clearly a film made by a filmmaker who loves film, be it the use of red and how that's like a reoccurring theme, how there's like a callback to um, more realistic kind of horror films where i don't know and the use of music was good too i know that the pacing is a little weird it's a little slow at times and it doesn't quite work in pulling you in every time but at the same time um it does kind of pique your interest on what the hell's going on (laughs) by the end you you know what's going on and uh it's all laid out there so there are answers there's no sequel i don't think what do you think think no there is not man i don't think that there will be maybe it would be a prequel I, I know that he has a prior movie that's similar in aesthetic called Beyond the Black Rainbow, and that's mm-hmm. a great movie too. 
Can you explain to me cheddar goblins? <laughs> I was just going to say, the perfect stinger to this is, if you watch the movie and you like it, and the weirdest part of the movie in a very weird movie is a commercial for a mac and cheese called Cheddar Goblin. And also and this, they, this takes place in like the early 80s, by the way. Yeah, and they have a mascot called Cheddar Goblin, who is just a horrible little cretin. Um, that soaks kids and parents in macaroni and cheese. Vomit. Um, it vomits the vomits, macaroni and cheese. Vomits <laughs> macaroni and cheese, yeah. If you want to learn more about Cheddar Goblin or even buy Cheddar Goblin merch, there's a website for Cheddar yeah. Goblin. Um, there's also a really long blog post about how they made the Cheddar Goblin commercial. Oh, I got to watch this. I don't know about this. Those kids were soaked in like yellow Kool-Aid and macaroni for like 12 hours. Oh my God, that's awful. To make the Cheddar Goblin commercial. That's funny. Um, it's <laughs> That stupid joke commercial took them more time than whole other scenes in the movie. I believe it. Yeah. And it's just it's like, fantastic. It's a quick it's like 30 second scene where... Yeah, it, it happens at the right time in the movie, and it, it's a good laugh. Yeah, it totally does. It's so, like, a surreal Lynchian thing. It's you, so weird and good. I think in my review I called it a heavy metal acid-washed John Wick. So, <laughs> so if that appeals to you, check it out. Uh, yes, and I want to go make that movie now. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, guys. This is the end of our show. Uh, please like, please subscribe if you haven't already, and tell your friends. Uh, we're having a blast doing it, and I hope you have a blast listening. Yes. Thank you so much. See ya. Bye.